Okay, hello, and welcome back to the Anxiety Book Club. Uh, this is episode 27. Wow, it's got a lot of episodes under our belt here. And uh, joined again by Eowyn Alstrom, who's been on the podcast before. Um, she is a teacher of mindfulness-based stress reduction, compassion cultivation training, a facilitator of mindfulness and yoga, uh, instructor at the Mindfulness Center at Brown, and most importantly, at least for this podcast's sake, the author of this month's book, Mindscapes, Practice Poems. So welcome, Eowyn. Thanks for coming back. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me, Josh. It's a joy to be here. Um, I think I was in, I think it was quite an early episode that I uh, did the last time. So wonderful to hear 27. You're really rocking it. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. You were there in the beginning. So thanks for spending some time with us again. Happy to do it. So I guess the questions up at the top are what prompted you to to write these poems and also what what is meant by practice poems mm. wow well i'll take the first the the second question first yeah what is meant by practice poems i chose that subtitle if you will um because the word practice has, is so multifaceted in its meaning i'm sure you've heard of professionals of various kinds, maybe particularly in helping professions, although, well, lawyering is a helping profession, you know, they, they have practices, right? A doctor has a practice, a, a massage therapist has a practice, a social worker has a practice. So there's that very um, common use of the term that I find an interesting use of it, especially when paired with another way that the word gets used, which is to describe meditation, contemplation. Yeah. So for example, I have a mindfulness practice or I have a compassion practice. So what is meant in all of this? You know, what I get from either of those meanings actually is that these kinds of activities are, they're activities that benefit from long-term engagement and um, while skill may increase, the idea is not to uh, get it done right away, you know. The idea is to practice. <laughs> so there's something in that phrase, practice poems. It's like, these aren't perfect poems, but also there's an expression there of a dedication that I have to a certain kind of process with both writing poetry, but also reading and receiving poems from others. Mm. So there really is a lot in that word practice. For me, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool, I'm glad we unpacked that a little bit. I don't know, what do you think? What does that word mean to you? Oh, now I'm in the, dry, in the other seat here. <laughs> <laughs> um, Just for a moment, if you Yeah, will. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting because practice is both kind of can be used as a noun, which which I think in, in some ways is the main meaning here. But yeah, it's also a verb. And it sort of draws forth the idea that we're practicing maybe for something, like preparing for something. Mm. Um, but, but we're also, I think maybe like you said, uh, not trying to get anywhere quickly. So perhaps the practice is itself the thing, you know, full stop. So yeah, it's it's nice. It's nice to have words that are 
uh, inspired so much conversation and, and thought uh, about mm. just a single, you know, two syllable noise. Well, that's a, you know, that's a beautiful comment when having a conversation about poetry anyway, you know, two syllables. And so for me, one of the things I really love about poems, mine or anybody's, is that they uh, tend to be, particularly in the contemporary age, you know, fairly pithy expressions. You know, they, they tend to be, um, well, let's just say shorter than novels or academic papers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. I don't read too much poetry. I think most of the poetry I've been reading in the last couple of years is when it's mentioned in like a mindfulness setting, um, you know, in a class or before or after a meditation. Um, but yeah, poetry is interesting. You know, it's it's uh, it can make you feel things, which I guess is the best part. Uh, well, there's a connection to your podcast type. You know, what do you call this? The anxiety book club. That's that's a strong emotion. Mm, a very strong one. Yeah. And uh, well, yeah. So let's talk about some of the poems because I'm getting ideas about how our current conversation relates to them. Um, so my favorite poem is the one that you read the last time we were chatting and is now in print form. And that's called No Audience. Yeah. Do you want to would you read No Audience? Sure, I'm happy to read No Audience. Yeah, I, it's funny. I read that. It was some context in our last conversation that caused me to um, offer that to you. Okay, so here we go. Uh, I won't reread the title because you've, you've said what it is. Thought whips up an impressive magic show every time she gets a chance, which is rather often. She drags the breathing body along for the ride, panting and sweaty, roped to the charlatan's cart like some poor dumb mule. And now, for your excitement, Thought announces in her most impressive voice, a catastrophe. But there's nobody in the audience today except patient awareness who sits unmoved by the show, attentively observing the sleight of hand performance conjured from ordinary sights, sensations, and sounds with a dash of memory for that jazzy, dazzling effect. Patient awareness, sitting alone in the theater, wears a smile that just keeps spreading wider across her face. It's that slow warming upturn that comes to the lips of someone who knows she can no longer be fooled. So it's interesting, Josh, I believe that since I read that poem here last time, I changed a, a word from magician to charlatan. And that actually was because you mentioned your response to the word magician and, uh, yeah, I, I believe that's the case. I'm not sure. I wanted to make it even clearer that this, you know, this figure who thought in, in the poem is is um, not necessarily someone you would admire. 
Uh, oh, Although, you know, thoughts can be admirable for sure. Right, right. The charlatan's cart, right. Mm. So this poem, you know, this poem is such a, like, if you had never meditated before and, and you had a busy mind and you were looking for ways to, uh, you know, sit with or be less bothered by your busy mind and you, you happened upon this poem and if you understood it, like if you understood that it was possible Mm. to sit in the audience and smile and not be not be bothered by you know the shouting uh <laughs> charlatan's voice the the catastrophe like you would think oh my god like that's possible like let me start meditating mm. um so i i so i think for that it's it's significant but it's also it's just also just fun because it's like there's it's like a circus or i don't mm. know it, there's there's no mules involved, but the body is is like this sweaty mule. I don't know. I just I, I really like this poem. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I, I suspect I wrote it when I was either coming to the end of a meditation retreat or otherwise, you know, deeply immersed in in practicing uh, meditation, you know. Yeah. I wonder about the uh, the smile that patient awareness gets to, you know, have on her face is so in the poem. The reason that she's smiling is because she knows she can't be fooled, which is itself a nice thing to know about yourself. But I guess it's also amusing, right? Like some of the um, shrieks <laughs> <Yeah>. and cries <laughs> of the brain. Well, have you? I know you. You practice meditation, Josh. So, have you listened to your own mind lately? <laughs> <laughs> I, I find mine to be quite entertaining, <laughs> um, in a lot of different ways. Yeah. No, I I smile too when I notice something that might have worried an earlier version of me, but no longer does. Um, so, yeah, the experience definitely resonates. Yeah, that's it. When, when, so, and this is, yeah, that's exactly it. When something that could have caused chaos for days, you know, could have caused a lot of pain and suffering and confusion and heartbreak isn't doing that, but is still there, still being seen, uh, I find that extremely liberating. In some ways, it's, um, well, I'm just thinking out loud here, you know, but arguably more helpful than if the thoughts were just to disappear altogether. Because when things disappear altogether, it's easy for me to forget about them. <laughs> yeah. But if they're still happening and yet not causing their challenging effects anymore, then I really get a chance to see something that is so so helpful what do you mean it's it do you mean it's you're glad they remain so that you can be reminded of your progress or do you mean something else i mean i'm glad they remain i wouldn't call it progress although that's one way of looking at it i'm glad they remain so that i can see the absence of suffering there and why is that <laughs> Well, it's because I don't like to suffer. <laughs> right. 
Oh, oh, I see. Like the the fact that it was an opportunity to suffer, but you didn't is itself a sort of small pleasure. Yeah, and one that might be missed if those thoughts weren't running in their usual way, if you see what I mean. I might not notice that I'm calm, that I'm peaceful, that, you know, that that there's a sense of ease present might go unrecognized if it weren't for these thoughts that I can recognize as historically causing disease, lack of peace, pain. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Yeah, you're finding you're finding ease in the sort of in the contrast of, of your current experience versus what might have been. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because when, it, when something is just a completely absent, often it's quite challenging to re- realize that unless you're missing it. Right. Unless you, unless it's something that you like. Yeah. So for example, if something uh, that you dislike goes away, do you spend a lot of time trying to bring it back? No. You don't, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like if you had, this is maybe not a great metaphor, but if you had like a high dive in your backyard that you were always afraid to jump off and then, you know, it no longer was scary for you and you could just could sort of glance at it while you're, you know, washing the dishes and remember like, oh, that's no problem for me anymore. Exactly. And then when you felt like it, you could even go and jump off and enjoy it. (laughs) It's super fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's resilience or something. Something, something. Anyway, as you say, metaphors don't always quite do the trick. And, and neither do poems, you know. I guess neither does anything. Huh? Mm-hmm. So, okay, so that was a great one. Um, I don't think we'll have time for all of them, but... <laughs> no, I don't think we will. <laughs> there are a lot. There's a lot of poems here. So both and... Mm-hmm. I like I like both and because for, for the personification in it, there's a few really good lines in there. Do you think this format is good where I, I prompt you and you read the poem and we chat about it? I'm or? happy to do that. Yeah, okay. sure. You're the, you're the driver here. I'm just the guest. So I, I, I like that poem quite a lot. And I think there's some things to say in it um, or about it that might be interesting for your listeners. So let's we can give it a try with a second poem. And if we don't want to read any more, we don't have to. But folks can always, you know, get the book if they're interested. Sure. Uh, but sure, yeah. So both and, as you say, is the title. And th- there's something folks might need to know from this poem, which is that the word Kali Yuga is a, it's a word that means like a, an age of destruction. Yeah. So here we go. Both both a Kali Yuga and a golden age reveal themselves kaleidoscopic as our blazing material preoccupations zenith and streak across our growing consciousness, like some slow, hot shooting star, just about to blast this blue-green earth. Collaboration and conflict wake up blinking at one another, surprised by the brightness, awkwardly comfortable, sharing space like an old married couple lying side by side in single beds. We have lived long enough now to feel with that clarity that only comes from within, both the insubstantiality, the effervescence, and 
the shy, inarticulate materializing of a humble and potent peace. We can see now that kindness, call it kinship even, is both optional and required. That friendship is the most essential course correction we must endlessly make. One more thing I'll tell you about the poem, Josh, is I, I understand that, um, you know, space spaceship, so to speak, <laughs> whatever kind of rockets we send out and stuff into space, they have to uh, con course correct a lot to get to their destinations mm. over very long distances. It's like, I'm sure they have, uh, what are they called? Algorithms that, that course correct these ships as they steer through space, you know, when there are probes going to Mercury or Mars or whatever. Mm -hmm. Got it. That's good. That's good context for uh, the non-NASA nerds listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. Yeah, so I, I think my favorite line is in the second stanza, collaboration and conflict wake up blinking at one another, surprised by the brightness, awkwardly comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? Have you had that experience? I don't think so. Um, I, I, and I would say that I mostly understand the poem, but I don't understand it as well as some of the other ones. Hmm. Um, well, it's a paradox, and the, the nature of paradoxes is that understanding can't touch them. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. I think it's about um, like maybe interpersonal relations or um, f figuring out how to move through life, w you know, how many parts collaboration, how many parts conflict um, and realizing like, yes, all of it. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I feel like I'm sort of disgracing or, the poem by trying to use prose to oh. summarize it in some way but that's at least what i would say if i was uh, asked well i'm I, yeah it seems like you're connecting with the material there pretty fully i would add you know as a person who wrote the words down that um for me also uh, absolutely yes interpersonal relationships including my most um close ones, you know, bring these topics up for me. Yeah. Mo getting through a day with my dear fellow humans often involves differences of opinion. So you could call that, you know, conflict. And also often involves um, working together on, on shared projects, you know, so you could call that collaboration. So yeah, for sure, uh, the interpersonal sphere and, and the close sphere. But I was also thinking about the big, the big picture uh, of the globe, you know, the whole human collective and the massive complexity of that collective. It seems to me that this paradox shows itself there too. Mm-hmm, yeah. And further that, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Josh. I was just going to say that some, oh, I don't know, reconciliation of the, 
uh, of the fact or reconciliation to the fact that both are part of our world. And also to move toward the end of the poem, you know, that what helps navigate that situation, if it's true that both conflict and collaboration are just part of being alive here on planet Earth, then to my way of thinking, practicing kindness, or if you'd like, Josh, compassion, I know you're, uh, I know you're engaged in that practice. Um, and we can talk if you want about the difference and similarities between those two. For me, that's the that's the way to um, this kind of reconciliation, right? And and I that it doesn't necessarily get rid of either conflict or collaboration, but makes it somehow a friendship uh, attitude makes it possible to navigate both with a little bit less stress and maybe also with some um, more helpful uh, directions in, in those processes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I heard, so as we talked about before we started recording, I'm taking a compassion cultivation training, which is a course that you teach. Um, and I heard my instructor say something recently like when people are hurtful towards other towards others you know it, it's probably because of some pain that they're feeling or maybe even some confusion which makes me think that being kind or compassionate or being a friend is somehow right because if you're doing the other thing you're confused i don't know how you think about that? Well, I'm I'm not a big fan of the word right, <laughs> uh, because I um, well I, I remember there's an old uh, lines I don't I can't recall the context you know but some some contemplative teacher maybe a Zen a Zen master or, or other other meditation teacher saying to um, his or her students, you know, there is no right and wrong, but right is right and wrong is wrong. <laughs> you know? It's uh, it's complicated, isn't it? And that, I think that's maybe why you are interested in this poem, because there's a lot of complexity here. So if I say being kind is the right thing to do, even though that may be an accurate statement in some ways, or a morally... Um, uh, uh, a morally appropriate, if you like, for, for human circumstances statement. It can also put pressure, yeah? So, oh, no, now I have to be kind, right? And I don't... Uh, this is why the poem says it, it's both optional and... Kindness, friendship is both optional and required, No. Yeah. It's clear that people are not kind to each other all the time, right? No, mm. we're not. So then kindness must be optional, yeah? And it's also clear that none of us would survive if not, let's say, for the kindness of uh, some caregiver when we're babies. So it's also definitely required just for survival, never mind quality of life. It For mammals, right? Something that we would call kindness or 
or care uh, is, is utterly essential and also optional. This is why I say it's a paradox. This is a paradox. This is not something we're going to solve and reduce by, by reasoning together until we've got the one right answer. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really glad you clarified that line about optional and required because I was thinking, oh, it's poetry. You know, <laughs> you just, you say things sometimes, you know, they're clear, sometimes they're unclear and, you know, it's art, right? But y- you, you provided some really compelling reasons for that paradox existing. So yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yo, yeah. I, I, well, that's an interesting view of art. <laughs> I, my, I mean, I don't, I'm not even sure that the poems I write are art. I think of them as practice. Um, uh, and a uh, big part of what the process is about for me is allowing what I feel to be the truth in the moment that I'm writing to emerge. So, you know, to be clear, if you want to read any of the poems again and, and think differently about them, I'm really saying something that I think is true in, in every one of these poems. Now, I think it's true. That doesn't mean you are going to think it's true. And that we might then have a really interesting uh, conflict that could actually support us in collaborating, just like we're doing right now. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's just, you know, talking about stuff is so interesting. <laughs> well, there it is. There it is. I, absolutely. It is so, so interesting. And, and uh, so then hopefully, uh, for me at least, with this embracing of a friendly attitude toward both the places I uh, have different views and opinions than others, you know, different ideas than others, which is in some ways what I am meaning to convey when I use the word conflict, right? I say it's this, you say it's that. Yeah, I say tomato, you say tomato, right? <laughs> and the next thing you know, we're, we're putting up our fists and trying to convince the other one that I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah, this is conflict. But if I take a friendly attitude, in fact, if I see all of that as thoughts to connect back to the old, the the previous poem, you know, if I, if I can sit back and say, okay, these are my thoughts. Those are your thoughts. They're different thoughts. Yeah. And I can accept that. Then you and I can talk and, you know, I think actually a lot of good pos- podcasts come out of um, this willingness to accept possibilities that conflict and collaboration can exist in the same space and, and actually complement each other when there's a friendship involved. Mm. Right, right. When you're mostly interested, yeah. If you have friendship in mind and you're not so hard-nosed about being right, uh, maybe interesting things can come out of that. There it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and kindness, I think, uh, you know, the, the cultivation of an intention to respect other beings, you know, to care for other beings, to give other beings enough space to be themselves, you know, this supports all, all of that. Mm-hmm. There's a poem I want to uh, talk about, and... Uh... Uh, you could read it or I could read it, but I want to give you my interpretation of it because it definitely. All right. If you're going to give the interpretation, I, I'd love for you to read it. Which one is it? It's on page 19. It's real love. Oh, all right. Go for it. 
Okay, so somewhere toward the end of time, he listens to funk in the living room while she reads an academic paper in the office. No phone rings. No one knocks at the door. The night just slips on into nowhere. It's clear now that we never get where we seem to be going. It's so clear now, somehow, that we don't need to get anywhere. Mm, yeah. So there's a few things I'd like to say about this poem. So I like it as an expression of uh, love or coexistence or you know relationship with some or person or persons. Um, but but what really it brought to mind is after the first retreat I went on, which was with you up in uh, Western Massachusetts at Spirit. Um, Spirit Fire, yeah. Spirit Fire. I was talking to a, a, an older woman who, you know, at the end of the retreat, we debrief and share our experiences. And she told me that, you know, her whole life, she kept waiting for something to happen. Um, and, 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 you know, and it never did. And, and by something, I think what she means, at least for me, it's like, I think about things that I want or things things that I think that once I get them, then I'll be somewhere. Like once I get this job that I want or move to this city that's exciting or get married or like, you know, there's this sense that at some point things will be like different in some way uh, or have changed once we like, you know, acquire a thing or earn a certain title or, or become part of some relationship. But at least, at least what I have, I think I now know maybe from, you know, my sitting practice and then this line, it's clear now that we never get where we seem to be going. It's like, you know, we don't, right? It's just moments unfolding, like, like, <laughs> like it's just, it's just more of them. <laughs> so I don't know, that, that was my response. Well, yes, indeed. That's, that's uh, what's being evoked, uh, for sure. Uh, and in fact, this this poem is just a snapshot of an evening here at home where I live with my husband, you know, this, this, this occurred, <laughs> both the, the scene of him being in one room and me in the other doing different things, but also the, oh, yeah, I, I mean, you know, we've been married for, it's going to be 20 years in May that my husband and I have been married. And Congrats. Uh, as is the case with any long-term relationship, you know, there are the ups and downs and the changes. And, um, and you know, he and I have known each other since I was very young. And uh, I think probably we did imagine, I certainly did imagine that we were going to get somewhere and that was going to, it was going to, you know, happily ever after. Yeah. It's a huge relief. And, and I, um, I'm looking forward to celebrating 20 years married, in part because I've, I've kind of let go of the idea that somehow everything's going to fall into place. Uh, hmm. Got it. Got it. I, it doesn't need to, nothing need. how could things fall into place? I mean... Yeah, yeah, where would they fall? What where, would exactly. <laughs> where would they fall? Where would they land? You know, in everything's changing. That's really, you know, it's all changing. And I find it's much more workable to align my life with that truth, you know, and, and uh, rather than trying to make it stop. 
So yeah, maybe we can talk about that a little bit because you hear that a lot, that stuff is always changing. <laughs> um, it's a platitude, I, isn't it? Yeah. It, it's a platitude, but you know, there's truth in, in these phrases. Definitely. I think for me, it resonates the idea that things change when I get stuck on some difficult emotion. Um, the fact that it isn't going to be here, you know, a minute, an hour, a day, a year from now, that gives me some solace. Um, is that mostly what's meant by everything changed or is there other things that are changing? Um, <laughs> well, just to bear in mind, I'm not going to try to represent a, a phrase that's used by millions of people for all of them. So I'll give you my perspective. <laughs> um, but, you know, my perception when I tune in to the flow of moments through meditative practice is that um, there's a very, uh, hmm. there's a, for me, I, I find there's a very restful, restful, restful. Yeah. There's a restful possibility of um, being with the changing moments, you know? So, for me, the in-breath and the out-breath feel like things changing, yeah? So it's not, not just about uh, I, there's something I don't like and I'm looking forward to it going away. <laughs> it's more essential than that, actually. It's more woven into the fabric of, of life, yeah? And you can observe this yourself in any number of ways. Take 10 minutes and sit and watch the sky, for example, especially if there's clouds and a little bit of wind. And you can see it there. You can see that the sky, the cloud cover is changing. Yeah? Take five minutes and listen to a song and notice that it doesn't all sound the same. There's repetition, there's patterns, but if you listen note by note, a song is, it would be utterly uninteresting if you only played one note, right? Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't listen to that. Exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's not just, um, it's not just everything changes, uh, as in another platitude, this too shall pass, right? Which is a helpful thing to remember when, when the, moment-to-moment -moment flow is unpleasant, you know, it can be helpful to remind oneself that this unpleasantness will inevitably go away. Uh, but, uh, you know, for me, it can also be useful to remind myself that that's the case when something really lovely is happening, that this is going to pass as well. Mm. It's woven yeah, yeah. in. It's woven in, Josh. Totally. I think about it a lot less when things are pleasant. Well, that's back to the first poem you had me read and, and why I'm sometimes glad the thoughts patterns are still happening, even though the emotional charge has gone. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I mean, I have a few more favorites if you want me to nominate one. Yeah, go ahead and nominate. And I, I've I've turned to one that I might oh, okay. choose instead. I don't know. You know, I mean, for me, I've they're they're all so. Um, yeah, I don't know. What what's what what would you choose if you were choosing? 
Um, so I enjoyed. I like the one about the cat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awfully sweet. He's dead now. <laughs> oh, he had a very long, happy life, and he's buried in the backyard. Uh-huh. His name was Rosie. Yeah, no, not that one. Okay, I'm going to pick, Josh. Okay. Because <laughs> there's one called How to Practice that might, you know, it might connect in some ways to earlier parts of the conversation, and, and it might also, oh, I don't know, you know, what to say about poetry. It is kind of funny, isn't it, to try to talk about poetry? Yeah. So let me just read it, Josh, and, and if you want to say anything about it once I've read it, you, I would welcome that. So, as I say, it's entitled, How to Practice, How to Practice. (laughs) Commitment, she explained, means staying with something long after the original warm feeling that made you say yes has faded. When the sun sinks low on the horizon, the day slipping into darkness, sitting with this phantom sorrow seems so tiring, so heavy and dull. And yet, here it is. A commitment has been made and will be kept. Now, now, one day, long after surrender, to the eternity of sorrow. Dusk moves to night all by herself. Mind stops and stays unwavering, calm and light. Nice. Yeah, that's a good one. You know, it's fun as I read them to you, I have the sense that they all say more or less the same thing. (laughs) And I think actually poems down through the ages, you know, uh, it's particularly what you might call mystic poems, which is to say poems about contemplation, about turning inward and and, uh, connecting with the, the interior of the human landscape or psyche. You know, there's, it, it tends, it's a lot of the same themes, whether it's, 500 years old or, or five days old. Totally. So uh, let's just let our listeners know that uh, to find out more about the book and to actually order it, you can find it at AON's website, uh, which. Yeah. So it's middlepath-healingarts.com. Yeah. And the paperback is there and the, there's a, a link to get the Kindle version as well through Amazon. Wonderful.